Welcome to GeekCast with your host, Todd Newton. First of all, let's talk about the new deal that you and Chip have signed with Cleopatra Records for the back catalog. How did that come about? Um, well, actually, Chip and I hadn't been talking, and there was kind of a feud going on, some, some bullshit, and um, I'm going to let that, that lie for a while. And then he got a hold of me and told me that uh, that Cleopatra Records, or I guess they've been, they were uh, interested in First of all, uh, I think Dissonance record, and um, and then we did that deal with them, and uh, then they said they were interested in the whole back catalog, and um, and that we thought that was great because those records are scattered around, and all these shitty little labels. We've never received a penny for any of those records or anything like that. No counting for them, you know what I mean? And don't even know who to, you know, these shitty labels want to buy that label, somebody else will buy that label. So you have no way to, you know, especially without a, without a, a manager that really knew what he was doing, and which I, I have now. But, uh, <clears throat> but so they made an offer for that. Um, we had an option of selling all the songs outright or doing a licensing deal. We chose the licensing deal. And, and, uh, and they're doing box set. They're going to be releasing each one, I guess, individually. And, Next one is Peach Fuzz, and they already released Dissonance, and that sold out. And uh, the next thing, I, I, I'm not sure. If, I think it's Peach Fuzz and then Box Set. They're also talking to me about doing my uh, my own my whole solo catalog as well, which is which is uh, works out for me because then I have everything I've done under one roof. Now you recently distanced yourself from Deco Records as far as your solo catalog is concerned. What led to that? Um, well, the only reason I took that deal in the, in the beginning uh, originally was because of we, we went for the pledge pledge campaign. And um, the pledge worked out really great. I, I raised like twice as my amount of money that my budget was or the goal. And uh, but then pledge, I'm, I'm not sure if you know what happened, pledge just took everybody's money and just split and disappeared. And so I'm sitting there holding a, you know, sitting there in a, you know, over $20,000 in debt, plus all of the pledgers that, uh, that are, you know, pledged and they, you know, each of them is supposed to get a record, autograph this, this and that. And there's quite a few of them. So, um, this deal was, was proposed to me and, um, it, the original, uh, conditions were that they were going to uh, initially right off the bat print up all of those CDs for the fans and um, get those out and uh, things started changing with them and, and their wording and stuff like that and uh, and you know they really didn't do shit it's like you know it's just whether they do print it on plastic and uh, just put it up on the various different sites and stuff which is no more than than I could you know I could do that and all you need is an LLC um, so the record just, you know, it, it didn't get a good setup. It didn't get a good push. We were just getting ready to go out and play out and support it, and the pandemic hit. And um, <clears throat> so I had a single ready to go right when the pandemic hit, and it was called Party Time. And because um, I was after I fulfilled my obligation with them, because the contract was only for the Beautiful Things album, 
So I was like, well, I want to release a single because I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do about an album right now because they don't have any budget money and I'm, you know, looking around at some other labels and stuff. And for right now, I think I can release a single, you know what I mean? Um, and on a 45, a vinyl 45. And so, um, that was the plan. They released the B side first and it, it just as if it, it didn't even exist. Um, there was a sister label in Japan that came with them. They did nothing to help us, uh, uh, with communications and getting things worked out with the Japan and, and Japan sold their whole thing for also, you know, just like beautiful things did and they weren't helping, they weren't doing anything. And then we're going to release the, the party time single, like two or three times, I believe. And I had to pull it and, and pull it back and <clears throat> pull it down off everything. And then the, the last time we're getting ready to release it. And uh, all of a sudden this, this video came, uh, came to be, and a very, very, very great video. And so at that point, I, I decided that this song, this is the most commercial marketable song I've ever written. And this needs a real fair shot with the video and everything. And so I, uh, I, I pulled it back again and they gave me a big hassle about that and saying there's going to be fines and this and that. And I said, you know what? I have no fucking deal with you guys anymore. I said, I want my, uh, <clears throat> I want out of that beautiful things, uh, so I paid them off for that, and uh, and then the party time was already all printed on 45s. You know what I mean? It was with the jacket and everything, everything ready to go and listed. It was up on Amazon. It was up on everybody, and had to be pulled back down. And so I, I had to buy all of those 45s as well, um, because I I know that it's it would just be a waste to put that song out on that label with no backing, no help, no nothing, and not able to do anything else on my on my own <clears throat> and so I just decided you know fuck these guys man I said I'm buying out of this and while I was at it I had my manager go around and, and we uh, collected back and bought back all of my solo records that were uh, scattered about and so now I own every single thing I've ever done and um, and that's that's basically why I did that that's got to be an incredible feeling for you at this point in your career well it's it's a great feeling to know I own all my stuff. It's also, uh, you know, I mean, if something's only as valuable as is what what somebody uh, that that wants it, you know, will will pay. So I mean, it, it, it can it can be as little as, as worth nothing, or it can be worth something. And and you know, just one single away, you know, even with all the enoughs enough shit and everything, it's just one one market marketing uh fluke or something like that and away from you know chip and i being you know zillionaires owning all our shit and everything like that our publishing and everything and um and so it is a good feeling knowing i have all my stuff it's uh cost me a fortune to get out of that get out of those deals and i mean um two-thirds of everything i collected on that licensing uh my half of the licensing deal and uh, I thought it was money well spent, and a lot of it went into the video as well, because there's it's a huge, it's a big time fucking video. It's really, really, you know, pro shot, and it's, it's funny, and it's got a lot of storyboard character, and and uh, <clears throat> you'll have to see it, and you'll understand. We're just about done editing it, and now we're uh, looking around and going around to seeing what our options are for promoting, whether we're going to get a a big firm or some connections that we, we have from the past or if the label wants to do it or but you know I would like to own that one 
just for the reason of, like I said, it's really the most marketable song that I've been trying to write my whole career. And when you hear it, you'll understand why. And uh, and so it would, you know, my my value and worth, especially going going around for solo solo uh, catalog deals and and maybe and possibly a new record deal, because um, I have the material, um, would would just would be I'd become a lot more valuable uh, after this thing gets some business. And I'm I'm sure if it promoted right, this video and this single is going to get gonna, you know, at least bring us to a different level. And so, uh, yeah, it's cool. Who was the creative catalyst behind the video for Party Time? Um, his name is Todd. Todd, uh, what the hell is his name? Todd Closley. He had when I was when we first came out. He started out as our limo driver and became he owned a limo company and became like really good friends and sort of like family. And um, and I hadn't spoke to him for like over twenty years and. Uh, when I announced that I was gonna shooting a video and I, I was originally gonna do a, like the fans participation video, you know where p- fans send in little clips of this and that of them partying and stuff, and I put that up on there and he uh, just got a hold of me and he said that he's been recently uh, got you know he's he just shot a movie or a documentary with uh, <clears throat> Michael uh, Michael Madsen and. Um, and then some commercials for like Goodyear and this and that, which so meant that he owned all the equipment and, um, you know, had the camera guys and had the whole thing and the, and the sound stage and everything. And um, he basically had a vision at first. And um, some, somehow the, the original uh, idea came up because I had another friend that has, has the, the 1989 Batmobile. And he, was, he offered to let that in the video. And so I was talking about that. And Todd... His uh, one of his side things that he does is he's promotion for this uh, Claremont Collection Auto Museum, and they have the the original '66 Batmobile in there and the Bat Cycle and stuff. And we started talking about that and that whole idea coming about. And so it's uh, it's like a spoof on the '66 Batman uh, show. And he had like the vision. I had some vision as far as uh, you know the performance the performance scenes and things like that. And some of the storyboard in the beginning of the video is it starts out with like a little bit of a little mini movie before the video starts. And, and as we got rolling and into it more, um, you know, my input became, became greater and, and then everybody's ideas started uh, really flowing in it. But I would have to say uh, he's the, he's the director and uh, producer. At this point, realistically, what are your commercial expectations for Party Time once it's officially released? Well, hopes and expectations are a dangerous thing I've found in my life because every time I've had any, you know, with the, uh, there's the flip side of, uh, of positive coming out of hope and uh, expectations on the positive side. There's the flip side of that, which is heartbreak and, and more, uh, you know, more just it can be very, uh, you know, it's just not good for the emotional and the psychological. So I don't really have a lot of hopes, and but I do have more hopes and um, expectations it, for this uh, for this song than I've had of anything else that I've, I've done since, uh, you know, like the first record or Strength or something on the major labels. Because this video is, is, I'd say, better than the original videos. And... Um, so I do have some hope for it, and if the right people, if we got the right people working with it, 
and promoting it and getting it out there and advertising it and stuff that I believe that um, it, there's no way that it wouldn't it wouldn't do some some business and then um, you know result in possibly my goal is going for uh, like a a commercial like for there's a lot of things that you could use party time for like a uh, you know like a beer commercial a booze commercial a Dunnigan's commercial a Super Bowl commercial or something like that it's it's really um, I can possibly send you the song you can hear it uh, before anybody else gets to hear it maybe uh, if I can find it and figure out where it's at in my thing I can send it to you so you can hear um, so hopes and expectations is hopes more hope, more hopes expectations is is all all uh, you know it all uh, is contingent upon what what how well what kind of decisions we make and who helps and and where what route we go with it um, and that if in that case I really believe highly in this song. Without having heard it yet, do you feel that this continues in your power pop direction? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely went went its step into. Uh, I I always try to evolve and uh, continue to uh, hit different ground, whether it's heavy or light or whatever style of the music. The songs dictate the terms for me. I let the song tell me what it is. And I constantly, uh, you know, it's at, usually in a new batch of songs that will be, uh, you know, they'll tell me what they want to be. And so the records are always different. Heart Party Time has gone back to a, a slightly heavier edge than the Beautiful Things record. So, um, you know, just like a lot of the new material that I have sitting in back catalog is, is slightly uh, heavier edge. Not real heavy, not like heavy metal or anything like that. It's uh, it's just you you got to hear it. You'll understand. It's very uh, in your face. And I actually went and retracked it, the version that we were going to release um, after the video got made and everything. I was listening to the original mix. I was like, well, this was kind of done, um, you know, really uh, low budget and this and that. So I retracked the song and actually went out and got uh, got Chip to play bass on it, who's also in the video. And I got uh. Uh, Roger Joseph Manning from Jellyfish to uh, play the keys and the brass and uh, all that stuff and just retract a lot of shit and I retract all my guitars and stuff so it's really pounding man it really grooves and so it's like night and day the, the song just came to life you know I got Mike Tholen that did the beautiful things to remix it I always felt the hair metal uh, glam metal moniker that you kind of got labeled with right around the debut is kind of unfair really the power pop at this point makes a lot more sense it was um it was uh really not our call to make we were we were very young and very new to this whole i mean derek and vic had been in the business for a while and uh and once you know, and the, the original chip and i's original vision was not uh was not anything like metal it was way more um, the power pop thing, cheap, tricky, uh, squeeze, whatever, you know what I mean? And um, then Derek and Vic got brought into the mix, and their look, along with their sound and stuff, we, we kind of got, got etched in stone with those, those guys coming into the band, and there's uh, several reasons why they ended up in the band, but I didn't, I really didn't have, a, my gut feeling was telling me this is not, uh, this isn't, uh, 
this isn't right. This isn't uh, this isn't going to have longevity. This is this is dating us. You know, it's getting kind of pigeonholing us, and then especially with the labels, lack of help with or lack of thought into uh, into the styling and and promoting the band and things like that. Because you know, labels what they'll do is uh, they'll just take whatever is uh, you know nowadays the labels they take whatever is doing business, just like any product. And turn out more of that, you know what I mean? So they, that's where they their head was at, and it did really good for a year, you know, until uh, all of that changed, and it was in with the good, out with, in with the old, or you know, in with the new, out with the old, and um, and it was just that that glam and that heavy metal type thing that we got branded with that that made the difference between uh, us, like us talking today from from uh, my private jet. You know what I mean? And uh, with longevity and lasting, uh, you know, it's like like Tom Petty or somebody like that, where they continue to, it's not affected by the times, it's not affected by this and that, it's that artist, you know, and everything they do, no matter when it is or what time, as long as it's great, uh, they continue to be that artist and they continue to, uh, to uh, you know, I mean, sell and, and have their fan base and it growing and stuff. And, and that's that really, I believe, would have happened had we not... Uh, not made that move but we jumped on the first thing that you know when, when you got a, a record label when you're broke and starving and you're a young kid and you got a record label that offers you uh like 12 million dollars for eight records right off the bat who you know it's hard to walk away from that on principle and say well you know i don't believe in that, this and that and uh so it was a big party and we just enjoyed the run but you know obviously it it, it played it took its toll on me with with um, my not being very fulfilled and believing very much in it, so I just kind of, I just kind of went off in party land, you know. I mean, plus my my anxiety and stuff, it was difficult. On a more positive note, I understand you were recently reunited with your purple Les Paul. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Uh, I had to sell it. I was married out in L.A., and it was the first time I was out of Enough's Enough for a while, a couple of years, and, and I was a witness, and our landlord in our building lived in a bottom floor of a mansion had murdered a hooker, and I was a, I was a key witness in that, and so that whole household got shut down, and we were kind of, there's no security deposit coming back or anything like that, and, you know, it was just my wife working, and I... Uh, you know, I would just get little chunks here and there from little solo records and stuff. And we were broke and had nowhere to go without on the street. And the one thing, you know, I've had a lot of endorsements and things like that, but I never hung on to them or cared about them. And this guitar was from the first day that I played it was, was recording in the animal sessions. I know it's, it's the only thing I've ever played, you know, except if something broke a string or something like that. It's the only thing I ever played. And it just, it was like an extension of me. And, um, and I knew that I I went through the Enough's Enough fans and stuff to uh, sell it because I knew it would be worth more to them. And there was a fan that, that paid pretty good money for it. And so I did sell it. And, um, you know, and the deal was that he, he'd let, let me know if he was ever going to uh, get rid of it. So I had the first option. And because, uh, because uh, so I knew where it was and everything. And, um, and I had heard something not so long ago about it, but I still, uh, like, I, as soon as I came into the money, like I said, I had to put that all into buying back my records and this and that, so it was going to be postponed again, 
and I pretty much had it was way in the back of my mind as uh, probably not going to see this guitar again, but at least it's it's being appreciated and loved somewhere in a glass case. And and uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I found out about it. I don't know what went down. It was on Christmas Christmas morning. I come upstairs and there it was. And I was like, holy fuck, man! <laughs> Here it's sitting right next to me, two feet from me right now. <laughs> Stay tuned for more geek casts from www.bigmusicgeek.com. <laughs>